Hello and welcome to the podcast for Christ Community Church in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. My name is Lee Younger. I'm one of the pastors here, and this is a message that I gave on Sunday morning, July 16th, 2023, from the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, one of the things that I really, really love about this church and this place and this community that we're building is that as far as like... Um, our journeys with Jesus and our journeys with the Bible, we've got people in this room who are all over the map. There are people that hold seminary degrees who are ordained ministers and can read you the scriptures and the original language is it was, it was written in. And there are folks who are like brand new to Jesus, brand new to the Bible, and that is awesome. We got people all the way in between. And so we are going to do something that I personally, as a, as, a, as a preacher, speaker, whatever, I have never done before, which is we're going to take some time here at the end of the summer, and we're going to go through an entire book of the Old Testament. And so, yeah, I'm so, so glad that you're pumped about that, Alex. I, it may be just you, but that's great. I, my, hopefully, everybody else is going to get on that same page, but thank you for the enthusiasm. Um, I've never done this before, and so uh, just real quick, so we're all on the same page. So like I said, we got, we got old pros, we got folks who are brand new. The Bible is a huge book that was written tons and tons of years ago by a lot of different people, and we divide it up into what we call books. And not all the books are the same. Not all the books are even the same type of literature. There's all kinds of stuff in this book. There are letters and poems. There are songs. There are histories and prophecies. There are instructions. There are visions. There are ceremonies, rites, and rituals. There are even a couple of books that when you look at them, they look like the script of a stage play. Although one of them you super should not see on a stage. And so, um, but anyway, and then... And then there's this whole classification of literature in the Bible that are called wisdom books. And sometimes it's little one-liners and sometimes it's longer prose. One of them is one of these plays. But the wisdom books are like, how do you live life skillfully? As someone who knows Almighty God, is in a relationship with Him, how can you live a life well? with skill in your relationships and your work and your play and all of that stuff. So what we're going to do is we are going to look at one of those. It's tucked into the dusty corner of maybe an uninspected place in some of our Bibles in the Old Testament. It is a book called Ecclesiastes. And as we go through this at the end of the summer, I want to invite you to read it. Um, just we're not going to go like kind of verse by verse through the whole thing. We're going to talk about some of the main themes and messages of this book, but I would invite you to read it. If you were to listen to someone read it to you, like on the Bible app, if you go into the NIV UK, then the actor David Suchet will read it to you. It's for free, and he's like one of the most fabulous to ever do it. So anyway, it takes about 35 minutes to listen to him read the entire book of Ecclesiastes to you. So real quick, what is Ecclesiastes? Okay, now occasionally as we do this, I'm going to reference some things about the Hebrew language, and I have to be right up front with y'all and tell you I am not an expert in the Hebrew language. I don't read the Hebrew language. I can't speak it. And so whenever I reference it, I am standing on the shoulders of folks who have done their homework and studied it and all that kind of stuff, okay? So when you look at it and you're like, okay, First of all, the word Ecclesiastes, like that is a big, long, honking word. What in the world does it mean? Well, when in the like original Hebrew, that's a Greek word, by the way, Ecclesiastes, the Hebrew word for this book is the word Kohelet, 
which we've translated the teacher or the preacher. It's a word that means to gather people together, like the way that we're gathered together. And so when they put the Hebrew Bible into the Greek language, they called the book Ecclesiastes. The Greek word for a gathering is ecclesia. That's where we get, that's what the word church is in the New Testament. So it's a gathering. If you want to get your head around it a little bit more, you know those days when you go to school and like the schedule is all wonky and you eat at a different time because they're going to take you to the auditorium and you're going to hear an assembly about how you shouldn't use drugs and you should stay in school? That's kind of what this book is. It's an assembly. We're on assembly schedule. It's really like a TED Talk. Do you guys know what TED Talks are? Y'all know this? Okay, so for those of you who don't, a TED Talk is they get a bunch of people in an auditorium and they stick somebody up front who is somehow an expert in something. Like they've had these experiences or they've done the homework or they're just really, really passionate about a subject and they give you this talk. And that's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. It's the OG TED Talk. Okay, and, and the guy that starts talking at the beginning of the book, what we don't really know is like, did Solomon write the book? Did somebody take some collected sayings of Solomon and put it together? The, we don't, you can't really like, you know, pin somebody down on that. It says that the teacher, the preacher, that I was the son of David, king in Jerusalem. But if it was Solomon, if it was somebody collecting Solomon's stuff and saying it later, know this, it wasn't the young, cute Solomon that took over as king in Jerusalem and built the temple and was this fabulous, young, amazing guy. No, this, if it was Solomon, it was old man Solomon at the end of his life, standing up and saying, welcome to my TED Talk. I want to tell you some stuff about the world and life. People that give TED Talks, their, their idea is they want to open your eyes to something that maybe you haven't seen before. They want to rattle your cage about something maybe you didn't care about before. They want to fire up your engine about something that they want you to care about as much as they care about. They want to change your mind and change your life. Hopefully they want to help you. And the teacher, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, in the assembly, in the TED Talk, he wants to do the exact same thing. He wants to open your eyes and rattle your cage, fire up your engine, and change your life. It's kind of like saying, okay, y'all, I'm an old man, long gray beard. I've been there. I've done that. I lived it all. I learned the hard way. And I'm going to give y'all some tricks so you can skip to the end. It's like a cheat code in a video game. He's like, don't go through it all the way I did. Learn from my stuff so you can get right to the end. This book is, it's like an alarm clock for a world of people who are sleepwalking. If an alarm clock was made out of a hand grenade. It is a very interesting thing. And I'm going to show you what I mean by that right off the jump. This is Ecclesi... Well, it was Ecclesiastes. Whoa. Sorry. No, that's okay. <laughs> Bible drill. I've been here. <laughs> I've been that guy. Don't worry. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, some of y'all that are new to the Bible are like, that's what the Bible says? Everything is meaningless? I'm telling you, man, it's a different thing here. <laughs> what do people gain from all their labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets, and it hurries back to where it rises. 
The wind blows to the south, it turns to the north, round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has, been, what has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. And he goes on like this. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, real quick, the only thing about that is, um, and I'm not going to do a ton of this, but, but I have to do that here. That word that we've translated meaningless, it's a, it's a Hebrew word, hevel. It happens 38 times in this book. And everything that I can read, it does not mean meaningless, as in something that doesn't have value or doesn't have significance. For one thing, several times in the book, the teacher will call something meaningless and something else meaningless, and he'll say, this one is better than that one. And you're like, well, how can one be better if they both don't mean anything? 38 times he says this word, hevel, and that, what that word really means is smoke, vapor, breath. He starts out this book saying, the teacher, the son of David, the king in Jerusalem, smoke, vapor, breath, temporary, transient, everything, everything we pour our energy into, everything that you're hoping for, everything you're leaning on, it's like trying to grab smoke and stick it in your pocket and save some for later. You ever done that? I mean, smoke is real. I mean, it affects you. You can smell it. And, you know, if you're around enough of it, it'll make you sick, you know, but... But it's gone as soon as you do it. Like I was thinking about um, when we ask our kids to clean the bathroom and one of the jobs is to Windex the mirror, you know? And you squirt the Windex and for a second you see this cloud of Windex. And then, then the mirror is opaque. You can't even see your face. And then it either runs down or hopefully they actually wipe it off. And then now it's gone. It's, it's over. And he's saying that's what so much of life is. It's like trying to wrestle the wind. It's like trying to steer smoke. It's like trying to clutch onto clouds. Have you ever tried to grab smoke? It just goes right through your fingers. If this book, if this talk is like an alarm clock for a sleepwalking world that's made out of a hand grenade, the shrapnel on the floor after the bomb goes off is your sense of any kind of control over your life. That's one of the huge messages of this book is whatever control you think you have over life, you are fooling yourself. And that's a tough message for us, isn't it? Because we love some control. I mean, do y'all try to control stuff in y'all's lives? I mean, we've got thermostats. We've got the HVAC system. We've got a hot water heater. We've got a microwave and a meat thermometer. We've got, the, you know, we, we've got all kinds of systems in place to control everything about our lives. And we're counting calories and we are, you know, using the right products and we're trying to find out what's the correct, you know, concoction of potions that's going to make my face look young. I did read this week that in, in Victorian England, the thing they used to do to try to make themselves look young, take away wrinkles and acne, was that they would scrub pure um, mercury on their faces. Here's the thing about it, y'all. It worked. Like, it took the wrinkles and the acne off. And the reason is because it was taking their face off. Like, by degrees, just your face is going away. We try to control everything. 
We try to control what our kids see and what they do and how, you know, the, whatever it is, the screen time and censor the language and, the, and you know, the, the, the parental. We found out the other day that on our Disney Plus account, for some reason, Nora's account thinks that she's eight. Like, Jack has a more advanced, uh, you know, set of shows he can watch than Nora. I don't even know how that happened. I don't, for some reason, it's like, no, you can only watch Bluey. That's it. That's the only... We try to control everything about our lives. We want to make sure that we save up, that we've got financial security, we've got, a, we've got all this stuff covered in every single possible way because we want to control our security and our happiness and our kids and what they experience and what they go through and all that stuff. And if that is your world, be very careful before you open this book. Because I'll just give you a few examples. This is by no means a comprehensive list but you are not in control of your life. The teacher says in chapter 1, verse 15, whatever is crooked cannot be made straight. Can anybody testify that your life was going along and you had these plans and you had these hopes and then all of a sudden something happened and the whole thing got bent out of shape and you couldn't stop it and you couldn't control it and this was not the story you wanted. Anybody been there? What is crooked cannot be made straight. Chapter 2, verse 14 says, The wise have eyes in their heads. The fool walks around in darkness. But I came to realize that the same fate happens to both of them. So if you're a planning visionary and you've got it all figured out, or if you're just wandering through life, who knows what's going to happen? The same fate happens to both of them. Chapter 5, verse 15, he says, As everyone comes into the world naked, everyone departs. So they can't take anything with them that they can, from all their toil that they can hold in their hands. So go ahead, get a bunch of fancy stuff. You know, when they talk about like, what was so-and-so's net worth when they died? It was zero. That's what their net worth is when they die. It's zero. You don't have pockets. That's not the way that works. Doesn't matter what you amassed on this earth. You are leaving it here. Chapter 6, verse 12 says, for who knows what is good for a person during the days of their life, during the time that they wander through here like a shadow? And who can tell them what's going to happen under the sun after they're gone? So, you, you know, I, I, I can give the best advice to any person in any situation. No, you can't. You don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's got a different story. Chapter 7, verse 13 says, Consider this. Who can straighten what God has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. So no one can discover anything about their future. So it's not just that things go crazy and things get crooked when you wanted them to be straight, but sometimes God's behind it. I don't know where to put that. I don't know what to do with it. I didn't write it. Chapter 8, verse 8 says, As no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the time of their death. A little bit later in chapter 8, he says, No one can comprehend what goes on under the sun. Despite all their efforts to search it out, they cannot understand it, even if the wise claim they know. And there's lots of people who will tell you, I know why that happened, and I'll tell you what's going on over there. You want me to explain it to you? He said, even if the wise claim they know, they cannot really comprehend it. There's a really interesting one in chapter 9, verse 1, where the teacher says, no one knows if love or hate awaits them. Everyone shares a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad. So even if you are awesome and sweet and kind and great at relationships and you set up great boundaries, you don't know if somebody's just going to hate you. There's a little bit later place in chapter 9 
verses 11 and 12, that I think is the direct rebuke to so much about our society and everything that we tell kids from the time that they are little. We tell them, you know, go to school and work hard so that you can get good grades, so you can get into a good school, so you can get a good job, and you can meet a good person, and y'all can have a, you know, a good life and raise good kids. Good grief. I mean... That's the thing that all of us, we, we grew up on. The, that was the 80s. Like, that's what we were told the whole time coming up. Chapter 9, verses 9 through 11 says, I have seen another thing under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, because time and chance happen to all of them. Moreover, who can know when their time is going to come? As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so people are trapped by evil times that fall upon them unexpectedly. You try to control whatever you want to. If you're the fastest, you might not win. If you're the most brilliant, you might not have more. You don't know what's going to happen. Apparently, evil times are just falling. They're just falling on people. In chapter 10, the teacher gets a little cheeky with it, I think, over in verse 8. He says, whoever digs a pit might fall into it. Whoever breaks through a wall might get bitten by a snake. Whoever quarries stones might be injured by them. Hey, you, you, your thing might be, you know what you need is a good, honest, hard work. Help somebody. Use, use your power and energy to help somebody. He's like, yeah, or you just have a rock crush you. I mean, like even if you're being helpful, it might not go great for you. You are not in control. And all of our plans and all of the things that we set up, all of our legacies, our family histories that we're so proud of, all of that stuff is just going to go away. So what do I do with that? Are you telling me like not to have good boundaries and not to eat right and not to try to exercise or not to parent or not to censor? Like what, do you, what do you say? I'm not saying, by the way, I'm not saying not to do any of that stuff, okay? I'm not telling you not to parent. I'm not telling you not to save up. I'm not telling you not to exercise. Here is what I am saying from this book very clearly. Do not hope in those things. You cannot hope in those things. You cannot hope in those things to give you the perfect family or to give you these well-adjusted kids or to make sure that you have financial security whenever, whenever. You cannot set your heart on those things. The real question is, whatever you've got going on, what's your motivation behind it? And what's your hope in it? I think that one of the big answers as you look at all of that just kind of flood of information about how little control we have over the world and over our own life, over the time of our death and what's going to happen to us, all of it, one of the big obvious things is, man, I really need to figure out what it means to be dependent on God. Like, I really need God. Thomas started out this morning by saying, I love this walk that we have, our system of belief, our religion, because it's for needy people. We are those people, apparently, y'all. I, I need to claim and cling to my dependency on who God... A amen? Am I alone on that, by the way? Okay. Um, this book does talk a lot about, look, hey, remember your creator and learn what it means to please God and follow him and learn what it means to enjoy him. And apparently that's a big deal because you have zero control over anything in your life. You're super, super dependent on him. But that's not the thing that I wanted to really drive at today. When I was thinking about this and just the overwhelming um, 
The overwhelming nature of how little control we have over our lives and over the world, over our kids and over our story and over all of it, over tragedy and sickness and the rest of it. I was thinking, what would my advice be to y'all? And I think um, my advice, it's not a super Sunday schooly answer and it's maybe a little more mystical and it comes from the best words that I could put on it were given to us by the wise and sage social philosopher Bruno Mars, <laughs> who said, throw some perm on that attitude. <laughs> you know, you got to relax. It's a great song and it's good advice throw some perm on that attitude you got to relax okay now here let me just say this real quick okay if I were you and I were sitting where you're sitting and somebody was standing up here and saying you're telling me the answer to me not having control over everything everything is just relax you just doubled my anxiety that's the way I would be feeling yeah you put it in a cute song but how does that help like that, I can't just flip the switch on all of my, my desire to control some things in my life, even though, because you're telling me I'm not in control. You're just telling me to relax. Okay, I would feel the same way. So if you're feeling that way with me, hang on a minute, okay? Give me just a, a little bit of time to button this up. Because I thought of something this week. I've been thinking about you and thinking about me and thinking about this all week, and I'm so excited. Because I think I found a good and possibly fun way for us to learn how to loosen our grip on our illusion of control over our lives. Thank you. And I found a little verse, too. And we're going to see if this works. I found me a little verse, too. And I'm going to read this to you, and then uh, i got to tell you something about it. Okay, this is uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Ship your grain across... The, it's going to sound like it doesn't have anything to do with you, but hang tight. Ship your grain across the sea. After many days, you may receive a return. Invest in seven ventures. Yes, in eight. You do not know what disaster may come upon the land. Okay, um, again, I am resting on the shoulders of some people who have been really helpful to me that know uh, some stuff about this that I don't. But, um, I, but I have done some digging. The word invest is not in that verse. The word venture is not in that verse. Actually, what it says is give. Give seven shares or seven servings. Yes, give eight. Because you don't know what disaster is going to come. At first it looks, like, it looks like it's saying diversify your investments. Because one thing may happen over here or one thing may happen over there. Actually it just says cast your bread on the water. If you get some back, great. Either way, give. To give seven servings. Actually, you should give eight. Because you don't know what disaster is going to come. Actually, that word give, the word that we've translated invest, it comes from the word Nathan, which is the, the name Nathan, which means gift. Like, just give it, like a gift. Give away. Okay, here's my thing for us. I think that the best way to learn how to relax without my anxiety peaking, are you ready? Here it comes, is generosity. Generosity, I think, is the control extinguisher. You can't hold if you're giving. You can't cling to something if you've opened your hand and given it away. And if disaster and chaos are going to reign, you know who's going to be the least scared? Those who have less to lose. So what are you saying? You're saying give your money? Yes, give your money. Have you not found out how fun that is yet? 
Give your money to Jesus. Let him do awesome stuff with it. Yes, give your money. Even if you don't have it, give. Yes, you should give your money to Jesus, okay? Yes, I'm saying that. Give your resources. Give your time. Give your energy. But you have more than money, too, by the way. You know what you have that you can give away? You have affection. And you have affirmation. And when you're in a conversation with somebody, sometimes you have the floor. You can give the floor. You can ask more questions. You have an assessment over that person's life and how they're living it and how they're doing their job. What about some generosity there? Give a good assessment. Give seven. Actually, give eight. Give more than you were planning to give. Because the more you open your hand, the less scared you are of whatever disaster is going to come. And also, you're going to get some friends out of that. I think that the act of withholding is an act of control. When I withhold my affection, it's because I somehow believe that if I deploy it at the right moment, I might be able to alter your behavior. That's a control tactic. Do you see it? When we hold instead of giving, then there's something we're controlling. If I hold my money and my resources, it's because I somehow think that that is going to keep me safe. It's not. You're not secure. You're not safe because you held on to it. There's a whole lot of Jesus-y teaching that we could go into about that. We don't have time today. But give instead of holding. The more you give, it, generosity is a muscle. The problem with this muscle is it's like the leg day muscles. It's the ones nobody wants to do. They want to skip leg day. Okay? But the thing is, if you work out this muscle, you're going to love what it feels like to be strong here. Because I truly believe that we're going to be less afraid. I think we're going to be less afraid by the chaos that might happen. And I think that we're going to have more people around us that we love, that we love to give to because they love to receive from us. Whatever you're going to give, give more. Give more of your attention. Give more of your affection. Give a better assessment. Give more forgiveness. Give more tether. Give more money. Give more energy. Give more. Open your hand more. Because you don't know what's going to happen. And you're going to love being strong in generosity. Last thing, I was thinking about our Lord on his last night with his guys. Before he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, before he went to the cross the next morning, John tells us a really curious thing. He says that Jesus, this is one place, and, and there's a lot of places where Jesus is super different from us, but one place Jesus is super different from us is he knew exactly when his hour was coming. And actually, you know, in, in chapter 8, verse 8 of Ecclesiastes, it says, as no one has power over the wind to contain it, so no one has power over the hour of their death. Jesus said, actually, in John chapter 10, I do have power over the hour of my death. No one takes my life from me. I give it of my own authority. He knew what was happening. John says he knew he was going to the Father. He knew who he was. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the uttermost. In the midst of of the chaos and the torture and the mocking and the screaming and the storms and all of the stuff that was about to overwhelm Jesus. The whole world was about to go upside down and he didn't hold back from it. He stood up from dinner and he took off all his clothes and he put on the towel of a slave and then he gave every one of those guys the gift of his tender attention, affection, washing their feet, looking them in the eyes, and then he just went on a downhill process of giving, 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 until he gave all of his breath and all of his blood and all of his life. He just gave. And he was not afraid. 
When you are strong in generosity, you're less afraid than other people are because you have less to lose, because you've already decided to give it. Give to seven, yes, even to eight. And then you also find that there's people who love to get the gifts that you receive, and we are those people who have loved Jesus because of the gift he's given us. And then I think you're going to find you enjoy it more. He was praying with his guys in John chapter 17, and, and he said, I pray that they would have the joy that I have, present tense. Even in the midst of all that, he had some joy. Let's start this week. Let's look for a place to be generous, maybe in a conversation, maybe with your affection, maybe with your attention, maybe with the floor, maybe with your money, maybe with your time. I think it's the control extinguisher. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for... Um, this jarring message that possibly we do not have any interest in hearing, that all the things that we're doing to control our life aren't really working, and in the end, they can't save us from whatever's coming. We are completely dependent on you. Would you make us willing to be strong and to get stronger in generosity with our words, with our heart, with our energy, with our time, with our resources, with what you've given us? Show us what it means to unclench our fist and to let go of that smoke. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, I want to see through your eyes. My life is your life. Make every single day another chance to say, I want to please you more. I want to love you like I'm your child, and I want to make you smile today, change the way I see, Lord, grow the heart in me, change the way I feel, and show me what's I want to see through your eyes My life is your life Make every single day Another chance to say I want to please you more I want to love you Lord I want to live like I'm your child And I want to make you smile I want to see